HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms. Dot com or virginiatraditions.com Hello and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, your host here on Heritage Radio Network. And today we are talking about presidents. This is President's Week. Um, We had President Lincoln's birthday last week, and upcoming we have uh, Washington's birthday coming up. And uh, those of you with children know, schools close and there's a celebration. I think I think it's more a ski vacation than anything else, but we call it President's Week. Ooh, there's sales in all the department stores, the President's Week sale, right? But we're talking about presidents and their preferences in foods. And we have um, a very special guest today, Jack Haney, who has uh, some direct experience with that. And he worked with a lot of the White House executive chefs. Now, the White House executive chef is responsible for the planning and managing and preparing of all the menus and meals at the White House for the first family, for their private entertaining, for uh, their day-to-day meals, as well as the state dinners and fancy banquets. And we hear a lot about the state banquets and and, and, fancy dinners, but not so much about the day-to-day foods and the the presidential preferences. We're going to hear some of those inside stories. Jack Jack Haney, my guest today, is a chef and a successful restaurateur and was an owner of a catering company and an author. He's written the book Secrets of the White House Kitchen. Jack has long had a hobby for collecting the likes and dislikes <laughs> in food of different heads of states. And we're not talking just presidents. We're talking kings, kings and, queens, and queens, dictators, whatever. Um, and at the age of 23, Jack became a master chef and went to 
the White House. The rest is history, as we will hear, and was a visiting chef. So welcome, Jack. Thank you very much, Linda. What is a visiting chef? Well, even, you won't believe this, but even the government watches their payroll especially at the White House for some reason. I should hope so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's kind of nice. It's a little refreshing. Um, A visiting chef is a person that they can call uh, that has proper security clearances and so on and so forth to come in when they need whatever it may be, Uh, a chopper dicer, a sous chef, uh, help with a a state occasion, or uh, a small dinner party the president is having with friends and family whatever the reason and it was just a tremendous experience for me oh sounds like a great gig <clears throat> for somebody 23 to get. years of age yeah and i was probably the most active visiting chef and that's what they call them today they used to call them white house wine and food consultants <laughs> a much better nicer ta-ta name you know yeah. but um it what was very them. interesting to meet these people and uh, work for them. Well, so you worked with, you served Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Nixon Ford, Ford, Reagan, and a Clinton, little bit of Bill Clinton, bit too. Bill huh? Clinton. Uh, and, and this book, you have the book that Jack has written is called Secrets from the White House Kitchens. It sounds very top, <laughs> top confidential, top classified uh, information there. <laughs> um, so what are some of these secrets i mean what when you say secrets we're not talking secret recipes because there were no private secret recipes necessarily no, no um and not necessarily so much the likes and dislikes of the uh of the presidents the the secrets are the anecdotes uh the unwritten history uh-huh. and the book goes from fdr to obama and i interviewed every show, every uh president from truman on through to Clinton. I didn't get the. I was too, too young too for FDR. To, to FDR right. And I was. Uh, uh, I never got the chance to uh, interview Obama or uh, George W. Bush. But the history of the food is amazing. When you go through the book, you will see what FDR ate and, and Ike and Truman. And it was the era of the 40s and the 50s where a baked potato and a full stick of margarine was really healthy for you. (laughs) And Ike loving uh, to play canasta or bridge and having what they call TV dinners, only they weren't the frozen-type TV dinners. They made them. Would they they put them in the trays? And they'd put them on the trays, and they'd watch their black-and-white six-inch television set. Uh And, uh, And then went on to the farm food, really, of Truman. And then um, the sophisticated, and I'll say this very politely, the sophisticated taste of Jackie Kennedy Mm -hmm. and what JFK really liked. Mm. I mean, he he went for the the bourguignon (laughs) and all that, but... You know, he'd race, he'd chase after little John John. That's the most gorgeous little boy I've ever seen. And he would just chase him all over the place, playing with him. And run him through the kitchen, and he'd stop, and he'd stick his, I mean, here's the President of the United States, sticking his finger in and say, John, 
That's good chowder today. You know, bingo, off after John John again. <laughs> and it's those experiences that I yeah. treasured. So. Well, the, that that must have made for a very exciting life, I'm sure. It did. Um, well, and you've worked, at, and through that, you worked with a lot of the executive chefs in the White House. Oh, yeah. And starting with Rene Verdon, we were just before the show began, uh, Rene Verdon went on to be a very successful restaurateur after he left the Kennedy administration yes. and just recently passed away. And we were sorry to hear that. 86 years old. He was just a great, great chef. Well, and you mentioned <clears throat> Jackie's taste for the um, more sophisticated. Well, Rene Verdon was the classic French chef. Rene Verdon, in his day, was rated as the second greatest chef, living chef in the world. And we're talking 1960, 1959, 1960. And Jackie didn't offer the job to him first. She offered the job to to the French chef working in the American embassy in Paris, and he turned it down. And Rene was the executive chef for the Carlisle Hotel Mm -hmm. here in New York, and he took the job. The Kennedys had a big presence at the Carlisle Hotel for many years. I think they kept an apartment there for a long time. Yeah, and uh, so she offered the job to Renee, and I went to the White House at 23 years of age to interview him and to interview the president, Mrs. Kennedy, and uh, about the. You were doing double duty as a chef and as a journalist. As a journalist, (laughs) a so-called journalist, if you will, for the Canadian Food Journal, and the story never got published. They turned it down after I wrote it, but uh, I was invited to stay, which was more important. Mm-hmm. And we just took an instant liking to one another, and the president and I did the same thing. And, you know, a kind word about Jackie. She never forgot her employees, ever. You know, I got stacks of Christmas cards and uh, happy birthday cards to my kids and uh, all of that. And it's just something I like to talk about because people look at her like she was very standoffish and so on. And she wasn't. She was very warm yeah, and a gracious to, lady. That's good to hear. Um, through all these people, uh, now there, this book, I have to say, that's, yeah, there are a lot of anecdotes in the book um, from each of those administrations that we mentioned that you worked, that you interviewed and, and wrote about. Um, but the book is Packed. It's mostly recipes, packed with recipes. Now, right. whose recipes are these in the book? They're both the White House and the President's family recipes. Um, they bring their favorite recipes with them okay. to the White House. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I made a collection of them. I have about 10,000 of them. And I chose these because it was... And then I simplified the form so people could really that's what i wanted to know did you tweak these these your tweakings of the recipes somewhat slight tweakings because i didn't want to ruin you know i have no business changing the president's recipe Mm -hmm. but uh if it would not fit into a family or a party of six some of these recipes or modern or the modern or the um, modern day cook pantry yeah uh they're all i shaved them all down so Average party of six people could eat, and okay. So you said John F. Kennedy yeah. liked the the plainer foods or the he, simpler foods. What and what was one of his favorite well, meals? Well, you know, he he loved his fish and chips, or hmm. uh, as they say in England, he called it that too. Um, but the chips had to be handmade. He couldn't have the 
frozen type, and he knew the difference. <laughs> and, of course, he loved fish chowder, clam chowder, uh, the Boston type oh, chowder. The Boston boy, yeah. yeah. He, he didn't care for the Manhattan chowder at all. And um, he loved lobster Figaro and things like that that you, uh, you eat at the better restaurants in Boston. And then he would... Uh, uh, he would acquiesce to his wife and and have the French food as well. Loved Renee Verdon a lot more than Lyndon Johnson did. Mm. Well, Lyndon Johnson <laughs> didn't keep him. him around very long. <laughs> no. Well, now tell me about that. The executive chefs. You know, we for a long time people didn't hear a whole lot about who the executive chef is. Now we're now the name is coming up in the press more often. Sure. Um, about the hiring and firing of the executive chefs, because sometimes we hear that a chef will go from a Republican president to a Democratic president, and and then and continue. So it's not like it changes right. with the administration. Well, the the chefs, <clears throat> although they have a very unique job, they are still considered house staff, and they're appointed and usually hired by the uh, first lady. Mm. And you go through the interviews and the interviews and the interviews and so on, unless you're really well-known, like a Paul Bocuse or somebody like that. Um, You didn't have to do that with a guest chef so much. They would call the French embassy. They'd call Jack in Buffalo, New York, or whoever they could get to come in. But um, they would stay. Roland Mizanet stayed there for 30 years. Wow. And, uh, of course, he was the greatest pastry chef i think uh, the culinary world has ever known well now this is something interesting that i think a lot of our listeners aren't aware i just learned it as well and that is that the executive pastry chef is a completely separate entity from totally the isolated executive chef i mean they they confer with one another about what's being served about for dinner and so on but the executive chef does not have any control over the pastry chef right? no and with Roland Mizanet, it was his imagination and his artistic flavor. The man was an absolute genius. He set the form in oh, for for many of right. the pastries that well, we. Well, and today. you know another thing is the one who really set the form in the uh, uh, for the presidency, of course, was George Washington with the protocols and everything in those days was French, and the treaties were written in French and the the, the diplomatic protocols were French, and the food they served was as French as they could get. And then mm. when Jefferson came oh, well, in, then, then it really... Well, first of all, George Washington did not live in the White House. No, no. <laughs> John Adams no. was the first to live in the White he House. Was the and first it wasn't guy. even finished, right? And it wasn't even finished. You right. know, the White House is never finished. It's always under construction somewhere. <laughs> um, but then for a lot of years, they were just serving American food, not any of the French food and that things changed when Jackie came in and she went back to that French protocol mm. and uh, skipped the white tie dinners and made them a little more informal instead of a 25 course menu you know it's a five or seven course menu a little of this a little of that if you ever spend any time in France that's how they serve mm-hmm. and it was a great idea and people of course clamored for an invitation to the White House, and they still do. Yeah, yeah. You know, and well, um, are these what my what I wanted to know when we were talking about the recipes? Are these recipes um, kept in the Library of Congress or they passed around? I mean, how did you get? A hold I got of a lot them. Of them. I got them with permission to use the White House Library. Ah, and okay. uh, uh, in the book, if it just mentions the recipe in the title, that's a family recipe. If it says White House or a la White House, 
then that's an official, an official White House book. recipe. Okay. And in some cases, the recipe repeats itself in the book. Yeah, and I did that's, notice that's that. We'll, we'll, yeah, that's, we're going to uh, save one of those dishes for the so, second part of the show. Okay, <laughs> because that, that was done on purpose. It, okay. it served one present, then it served another one. But a little different. A right? little Just different. A little yeah. different, right. Um, what, I would like, cause what I would like to do is um, you start out with FDR, and so I would like to go back to that point and start with him. So we okay. can take a little break first, and when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about Eleanor Roosevelt's influence <laughs> okay. on the White House kitchen. All right. <laughs> following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Sunday at 3.30 p.m., tune in to We Dig Plants with garden designers Carmen DeVito and Alice Marcus Creed of Groundworks, Inc. The girls delve into our human relationship with plants as food, medicine, fodder, and a source of beauty and inspiration. They bring the culture to horticulture and discuss such topics as botany how-to, cultivation, horticultural history, garden design trends, and all things generally budding. Again, that's every Sunday at 3.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. We're talking with Jack Hanny, the author of Secrets from the White House Kitchens. And Jack was a visiting chef at the um, the White House for many years, for those of you who might not have heard the first part of the show. And Jack, I wanted to talk about the first <laughs> president that you mentioned in your book, FDR, and of course... Um, his wife, Eleanor, as we know, was a very strong woman. L- tell me a little bit about the food in the, uh, during the FDR presidencies. Well, oh, and that was a long, that was a it, long well, term. You and I were babies yeah. or before, you know. <laughs> uh, I think we came along after that. But uh, the, one, the one thing that comes to mind, uh, Franklin Roosevelt had a woman cook in the White House. And in those days and, and before... Uh, except for Chef Honoré, who worked for Jefferson, they didn't really have great chefs in the White House. I mean, the food was served, even at the state dinners. It was just, you know, a lot of food, a lot of dishes, and so on. But nothing spectacular. Well, culinarily, America was very young. is still uh, very young. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, this woman, oh, I can't remember her name. It's my age is creeping up on me. Um the the one who ended up saying long time yes. Nesbitt Henrietta Nesbitt Henry that's it <laughs> and he mm-hmm. said I quote FDR I am running for a fourth term he told this to Churchill 
I am running for a fourth term just so I could fire that damn woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to, in, in, in fairness to our listeners, we have to give a little backstory there because Eleanor Roosevelt, we're not sure why she chose Henrietta Nesbitt, whether it was revenge <laughs> on her husband or. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, story goes that she was running an austerity campaign. I mean, it was the Great right. Depression, and she wanted to show all Americans how to live frugally. And, and she did. And she did, right? She did. But no she, butter at the White House. And she hired this woman who was not even a cook, she was a housekeeper. Housekeeper. Right. And nasty. Hmm. And just did not like the president. If you could imagine not liking FDR. Um, and here he, the poor guy's in a wheelchair. You know, he loved food. And he loved good food. Well, he grew up in the Hudson well, Valley. And anyone from exact, the New York area knows the Hudson Valley was exactly. filled with farms and fresh food. food and, 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 and why not use that? Right. Oh, she used mm-hmm. to feed him the same thing every day well you you were very kind to her and to them in your book because you don't have any of the and so on and so on on toast uh, no <laughs> your recipes are actually the, seem quite palatable you know the category and the uh, new brunswick stews and uh there and there's one in there that he loved and i put it in that was martha washington's crab soup uh-huh. and uh uh i was saving that for another book but uh and that's yeah. and actually that's one that that got a lot of response too. It did. People like that a lot. It did. Yeah. Well, Henrietta Nesbitt, um, being as you've mentioned, a very plain cook. Oh. Well, first of all, uh, you know they it, they could have had a very successful kitchen um, had they stuck with uh, more of the science and, and nutrition that Cornell Cornell was developing these great recipes for right. the kitchen, right? Right. That's correct. Yeah, the and austerity the, campaign, at the, but at the you know, hotel school yeah. and the egg school, right? Uh, or home economic school. I'm sorry, um, <clears throat> but in those days, people, including the president and everybody, ate what was put in front of them. Um, you know, there's poor kids in Europe right now. They're not getting any food, and you're wasting it and all that. Your mother drive you nuts mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. And we, uh, our culture over here learned to eat a different way than they do in Europe. That's for sure. And that included the White House. And then, of course, history changes. All right. Well, as I say, you were very kind to uh, to poor Mrs. Nesbitt, and I don't know how much it was just her inability to cook or not caring but they said one comment um a friend of of mine laura shapiro wrote an article in the new york you have that article a scathing article on the on the kitchen it was well known at that time that if one were going to a white house function during franklin delano roosevelt it was drudgery well to eat first before you go because you will for sure come out hungry right oh yeah uh, and the comment I'm looking for a comment that I saw that the, that the meals were just so so gray so dour so flat Nothing, so boring right and, and and no presentation whatsoever just a steak no au jus with it or little butter on it or whatever it's just plunked down on a plate well and and that and went it was on cooked well done yeah yeah right through great. Oh, said, oh, yeah. and that was went on for 12 years so though in that respect without even anything you know no famous white house chef her meals became legend but it's well, nice. especially the one that she did with for the king and queen of england oh tell me about that oh that was uh at their home in the hudson valley um 
It was potato salad, macaroni salad. It was a picnic. Uh, hot dogs and hamburgers. And Queen Elizabeth, the queen's mother, uh, bit into a hot dog for the first time with mustard <laughs> on it, and it shot. Oh, no. <laughs> all over the front We've of all done that. Come I on. know, but not with a Tyra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too much. Well, listen, they got a taste of America, oh, for they sure. They certainly did. You know, actually, it wasn't her uh, ignorance of food. It was she wanted to show them what we eat here. Mm-hmm. You know. They, and, then, and that? Germany that's, eats hot did. dogs, which I didn't think was a you know, very good thing diplomatically. <laughs> do that during the war but she did it anyway <laughs> well then you go on to truman anything and what was one of the more unusual or or something that stands out about truman's uh likes or dislikes well i met harry truman in buffalo new york he gave a speech at canisius college and i got a chance to interview him and what he said to me was something i hope it was just for me that i wrote down it's probably one of the funniest anecdotes i've ever heard in my life and he was a crusty old guy he was out of office at the time and uh i was lucky enough to be invited to the stag dinner after this uh, affair uh or after his speech and uh um his tastes were very simple he was a farmer um he tried going into business as a haberdasher and went bankrupt. He had a partner, and they just went, as we call it today, belly up. And he became a politician, a magistrate, and so on. But he had very common tastes, hamburger soup and so on. And if, you, and if you notice when you go through, you see that. I think I mentioned this before. And then it stopped, and he got very sophisticated, and then... All of a sudden, Ronald Reagan came in as the oldest president ever elected, and hamburger soup was one of his favorites. And but he would accept the modern day uh, executive chef French style cooking as well. The recipes in his chapter, I think, are really great. Mm-hmm. Well, now, if, as I looked through the book and read some of the anecdotes, I, I realized that most of the at least I would assume they were family meals. Most of the family meals were, they were by and large pretty simple, <coughs> simple tastes. I mean, nothing Very. extravagant, right? They're Americans. They, they're, they're you and I. Yeah. And besides hamburger soup, there was another dish that made an appearance more than once in the book. And that was Ronald Reagan's favorite dish, the macaroni and cheese. Oh, mac and cheese. And, and mac and cheese, ever since it's been, it was invented, has been a rage in this country. Huh. And, you know, every mother made mac and cheese, and they had their special way of doing it. And some people would add tomatoes to it, and uh, uh, some people would add just Velveeta cheese to it, and so on. But everybody has a different recipe for it. And, uh, and you know, to this day, I I love mac and cheese. Uh, what's not to like about yeah, it, Yeah, right? try to get that in Paris. <laughs> That's right. Well, food has all, you know, there were presidents and food. There have been different... Um, little anecdotes associated with most all presidents uh, or their wives, you know, throughout history. Is there, um, Andrew, I'm thinking of James Madison because his wife, Dolly, 
recognize Sally Shad's two frozen miles, concoction. Two miles away from my home. Two miles away. Montpelier, yes. Yeah. And, and Sally Shad was um, a freed slave who was a, a right. chef, and she invented this frozen concoction, and Dolly Madison proclaimed it fantastic ice cream, and right. it shall be served at all the state dinners, right? right? Um, Andrew Jackson. Now, and I'm going to compare him to someone that you worked with. Andrew Jackson was well known for having a some big dinner or event where he brought in this huge round of cheese that weighed well, it almost was a given ton. To him. It, yeah, it a did cheddar weigh cheese. a ton. It was a cheddar cheese, and it was brought in by, uh, you know, it was a new Democratic Party at the time, and they were really celebrating. They mm-hmm. tore up the White House. Mm. I mean, in those days, you could just walk in and out any time you wanted. Need to see the president? Oh, he's right over there in his office. Uh, try that today. It's, it's, <laughs> right. You know, it's a different world we live in. But, yeah, the cheese weighed 2,000 pounds, one and, ton. And story goes that the White House smelled like cheddar cheese yeah. for, <laughs> for yeah. a year yeah. later, right? And uh, But old Andy allowed it, and they, they cut into it, and uh, everybody ate and drank and Got rowdy, yeah, huh? And got rowdy. <laughs> well, that and that reminded me of something that another president did, and that's Ronald Reagan. Had for his inauguration, they brought in again. We're talking tons. Another ton of jelly beans, jelly bellies, <laughs> the little jelly bellies. He put them. He put Jelly Belly and Tom Clancy right on the map. Hmm. And uh, Mr. President, you know what's with the jelly beans? Well. Well, very good. Thank you. Uh, he would, uh, if he offered you jelly beans, you know, most people would take a handful. Oh no, no, he'd say one at a time <laughs> because each one had a different, a different flavor. flavor. Sure. I mean, he was a gourmet of jelly beans, <laughs> um, the Maven, and uh, and he used to tell people that, and he had a jar of them sitting on his desk, so everybody else and. You know, in the White House, had to have a jar sitting on the desk because he had a habit of walking into the offices unannounced. And I think it was a sugar high that kept him going at his age. It could be whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. (laughs) Yeah, he became a legend. What is what's the most memorable dinner that you ever assisted in? Um, Be it the largest or most unusual or or? Uh, shortly after the King of Greece. Uh abdicated and the new government took over and his sister uh princess irene and queen frederica his mother were visiting the white house and uh uh their menu pompano uh, and then the other one was uh, it wasn't a state dinner it wasn't a state luncheon but it was a formal luncheon and uh lamb chops and and so on and then the prime minister of um the prime minister of canada lester pearson mm-hmm. and uh emperor holly selassie oh i can't ever forget emperor holly mm-hmm. selassie you know it uh i had met him two times before both at the Kennedy funeral. He came in mm. for the Kennedy funeral. He was a great friend of America's, and he was put up at Blair House. And one of the odd things was, he used to love to get up in the middle of the night and eat. So we couldn't allow that to happen, so we set up a buffet. 
And it was a man buffet. When he got up, he had his choice. And then every couple hours, we changed the food. And, 24-7? And it was 24-7 until wow. he went back, yeah. Wow. Well, that was another question I had, and that is the, um, White House kitchens. There are more than one. How many kitchens? There's three. Three White House kitchens. Are they open, or is one of them open 24-7? The White House mess is. Mm. It's, a, it's an awful name to call a very fine restaurant, by the way. <laughs> um, it's run by the Navy, as it has been for years and years and years. Huh. And they have their own chef. It's excellent. Then there's the uh, the main kitchen, and which is used for larger events and so on. And then there's the uh, smaller kitchen, which is in the residence. And and of course the the pastry chef had his own kitchen. Hmm. So there's actually four. So if a, a meeting or work is going on all night long, and someone should get hungry and want uh, the proverbial ham sandwich that was in some movie that they go right <laughs> into the they go right into the white house mess huh and they can get what they want and they just get call what they want and, and the food is fabulous i'll bet i'll bet you got to keep that keep those uh well those uh, machines you know, going the truth behind the navy is they've always ate well hmm. you know oh that's that and then that is he's the commander in chief, the president. So there you go. He deserves the very best for four <laughs> years. Well, what I failed to mention, I failed to mention your restaurant and the family business, which is one of the oldest oh, restaurants in America. And it's yeah. called just as we close out here, it's called the Eagle House. My beloved Eagle House in I, Buffalo. In, it's actually in Williamsville, which is a suburb outside, of outside Buffalo. of Buffalo. And it uh, it's 184 years old. It was. Hmm. It was um, uh, introduced to the area in 1827, and it was it's been a, a hotel and a restaurant ever since. It has hotel license number one in the state and liquor license number two in the state. Liquor license number two imagine? in New York State. Well, wow. Lu- Luchow's has number one here in New York. Ah. and uh, uh, of course those are prohibition licenses that were given to the ten best restaurant tours that followed the rules and regulations of prohibition and we're offered these licenses and they're actually licenses that can be handed down if as long as who you're handing it down to passes muster mm-hmm. but uh, it'd be the same number yeah i could pass it down to my son he could pass it down and to that grandson. actually grandfathering in a liquor license is right. still something that that occurs sure. well before we leave i want to uh, let our listeners know that they can get a an autograph copy of your book at your website called secrets from, from the, the white, white house, house kitchens dot com. com there you go well jack it has been a real treasure i wish Linda, we could talk longer because i'm sure there are some interesting stories it was worth working the trip. coming up here believe me (laughs) great well i i urge people to if you want to find out more about some of these interesting stories to take a look at the book and Uh, we'll do a cook-off some night okay all right check back again for more culinary history at a taste of the past thanks for listening to this program on the heritage radio network You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent? To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world. 
The menu for this unprecedented event is derived from educational themes of the museum. Chefs will draw inspiration from sources outside their normal sphere. How will a cutting-edge chef handle the Paleolithic, or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients? What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome? The chefs include David Chang of Momofuku, Wiley Dufresne of WD-50, Mark Ladner of Del Posto, Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute, Cesare Casella of Salumeria Rossi, Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Bolte of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of BR Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat LaFrieda Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant.